0: Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, September 10th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. With the Delta variant still surging across the country, the Biden administration announcing sweeping COVID-19 mandates and rules that will affect 100 million Americans. The nation pauses to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the worst terrorist act in our country's history. Today, we take a look back on that somber day, remembering the lives lost and how the US has changed. And a new census information revealing that Phoenix, Arizona is among the fastest growing cities in America, a closer look at that boom and so much more. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. In a forceful step to fight the pandemic, President Joe Biden announcing new vaccine requirements for federal workers and large private companies. The White House says the mandates could affect as many as 100 million Americans. Grecia Lastra brings us the latest.
1: A sweeping new plan from President Biden to mandate vaccines for tens of millions of Americans who have yet to get their shots. We've been patient. But our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. The president ordering all businesses with more than 100 workers to require vaccines for employees or face weekly tests. And all federal workers and government contractor workers must get vaccinated. A requirement that extends to hospital and home health care workers at facilities that receive federal funding. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. The announcement marks a forceful shift from the administration as it tries to tackle the pandemic with the Delta variant spreading. Amid immediate pushback from GOP leaders, the White House defending the move on CNN.
2: And so therefore, given that we do have a group of people in this country who have decided not to get vaccinated to date, we are very confident that pulling this lever of vaccination requirements across 100 million workers will have a big impact.
1: In states across the South and Midwest, hospitals are once again overwhelmed with COVID patients, most of them being unvaccinated. Texas just reported its highest number of fatalities since the pandemic began. Christina Martinez was in a coma for six weeks with COVID, now sharing this message about why she finally got her shot.
0: People don't like to be told what to do, but it's for your own safety.
1: This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News.
0: Also making headlines today, the Los Angeles Unified School Board has voted to mandate vaccines for students ages 12 and up. In a special meeting Thursday, the school board decided a mandate was appropriate based on the sudden surge of COVID cases. The district, which serves more than 600,000 students, already mandates the vaccine for teachers and staff. All eligible children who are going to school in person will be required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. By the end of the calendar year, students who participate in in-person extracurricular activities, including sports, will face an earlier deadline of October 3rd for a first dose of the vaccine and a second dose no later than October 31st. Those with qualified and approved exemptions will be allowed to opt out. And another vaccine news, Moderna is working on creating one vaccine that fights both COVID-19 and the flu. Thursday, the pharmaceutical company announced it's developing a potential combination vaccine. The single-dose vaccine would combine their booster against the coronavirus with their booster against the flu. The company reportedly hopes to have the shot ready and available by the fall. Moderna also submitted its COVID-19 booster shot for FDA approval this month. The shot would be administered six months after a patient receives the second dose of its vaccine. As it stands, Moderna's vaccine currently only has emergency use authorization. The nation preparing to mark the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. Nearly 3,000 lives lost that day and thousands more injured. A historic and solemn day never to be forgotten. Today, we take a look back at the events that shook America and changed the course of history. September 11th, 2001. The nation was stunned by shocking acts of terror.
3: We've had a national tragedy.
0: The Twin Towers, a symbol of American success, reduced to rubble. 34 minutes later, the Pentagon pierced and in flames. A fourth hijacked plane meant to target Washington, D.C., crashing in a Pennsylvania field after passengers fought back. 2,977 killed and thousands more injured after 19 men hijacked four U.S. commercial flights. Americans left mourning the tragic loss of life and their sense of security. Out of the ashes came great unity. God bless America. That day, sending a generation and then another to what would be America's longest war.
4: My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger.
0: It would take 10 years before the U.S. killed the mastermind of the attack, Osama bin Laden. Ayman al zawahiri an Egyptian doctor often seen by bin Laden's side, succeeded him, but he has not been heard from in years, with many analysts believing he's in ill health or perhaps even dead. And this week, Pre-trial hearings began for five of the alleged planners of the attacks. The most famous, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, better known as KSM, the accused lead plotter of the attacks. KSM had been charged in 2008, but former President Barack Obama stopped the case, hoping that KSM and the others would be tried in civil court in the U.S. instead and Guantanamo would be closed. The defense team argues interrogations were tainted by torture done at so-called black sites and should not be allowed as evidence. KSM and his co-defendants are facing the death penalty.
3: It has to be uh, the death penalty. It doesn't have to be uh, an ugly uh, death
0: Now, President Joe Biden has quietly begun efforts to close the U.S. detention facility at Guantanamo Bay, using an under-the-radar approach to minimize political blowback. Meanwhile, with the recent U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and the government now run by the Taliban, the same group that once provided safe haven for bin Laden and al-Qaeda, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin worries that al-Qaeda will regenerate. ISIS-K is another clear and growing concern. The threat today is different than what we faced 20 years ago. Uh, It has evolved and morphed, and in some ways we are in a better place, but in uh, other ways it's more complex. Time has passed, but America has never forgotten. The country stood strong and rebuilt. A new building stands, taller than its predecessors. At 1,776 feet, the One World Trade Center opened in 2014. A reminder of the enduring promise and resilience of a nation. The 9-11 Memorial and Museum, a tribute to remember and honor those killed. This morning, final preparations underway. A ceremony to be held there tomorrow morning. President Biden and First Lady Jill will be traveling to New York to attend. The President and the First Lady will also attend a wreath-laying ceremony at the Flight 93 National Memorial in Shanksville, Pennsylvania on Saturday afternoon. And then they will head to the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia for a second wreath-laying ceremony. And joining us now to discuss the aftermath of the September 11th attacks and the U.S. response is Jason Blazekis. He's a senior research fellow at the Soufan Center and a former counterterrorism official at the State Department. Jason, thank you so much for being with us and welcome back to U News.
2: Good to see you, Andres.
0: So we just heard former President Bush give an ultimatum for nations to join the fight against terrorism that day that he was declaring war. Was this goal of eradicating international terrorism achieved in the long run?
2: So my answer to this question is really complex. The answer is both yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the United States homeland is extremely hardened against external enemies like al-Qaeda and ISIS. The United States was essentially abused by al-Qaeda in terms of its airport security. U.S. aviation security is at an all-time high. It's impossible nearly to try to smuggle in box cutters and knives. And the United States w- failed in information sharing on 9-11. The big reason why 9-11 happened in many eyes of experts is that the CIA and the FBI weren't sharing information with one another. Now, information sharing has improved. But on the other hand, The threat has changed. It has morphed. It has grown considerably. At 9 11, you had Al Qaeda. There was no ISIS. Post 9 11, you have Al Qaeda and Al Qaeda affiliates throughout the globe in places like Yemen and Somalia and North Africa. And then, of course, the rise of ISIS, especially during the Syrian civil war. So we have a different kind of threat. Um, And then we now have, of course, left Afghanistan. And the Taliban has taken over and that can make a fertile ground for a resurgent al-Qaeda and potentially for ISIS as well to grow.
0: Now, on another note, you recently argued in The Washington Post that the greatest threat may actually come from within, and you wrote the following, I quote, The U.S. war on terror launched in the wake of 9-11 has left U.S. unprepared for the domestic threat that grows by the day. Complicating matters further is that in today's politically charged environment, the Biden administration will find it difficult to pivot toward the domestic threat. Can you elaborate on your point here?
2: So my main point is, what we saw on the 6th of January, in my mind, is the, the first strike by an uh, eclectic mix of domestic extremists that include anti-government groups like the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters on the one hand, and then a hodgepodge of white supremacists on the other, interlaced with conspiracy theorists like QAnon. They reject um, President Biden, they, they see him as an enemy, they think the election was stolen, And because of that political animus, the United States is at a great risk of these extremists to try to carry out additional events. And of course, uh, President Biden has made a couple of new decisions, really good decisions in my mind, to require the federal workforce to be vaccinated and to uh, request that uh, businesses of more than 100 people um, have their employees also vaccinated, and this may trigger anti-vaxxers on the far right of the spectrum to to carry out uh, acts of violence as well. So I, I am really worried about this domestic threat, and the domestic threat's more difficult to challenge as well for the federal government for various reasons. It's We have tools in place to handle groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda, and those same tools don't necessarily apply to domestic extremists today. We don't have the same laws in place and the same capabilities. And that's another reason why the domestic threat is more challenging.
0: Now, in terms of tactics in your piece, you outlined some important steps to help tackle domestic terrorism. Can you give us a couple of examples? How so? How would it be done?
2: So one example is the FBI, until just very recently, had about 80% of its special agents looking at the international terrorism threat. And that's changing. They're improving. But to a point where they're not treating the domestic threat quite at that same level still as the international threat and it takes a while to pivot law enforcement resources to get them to develop new networks and and sources of information so we're really behind the eight ball in the context of law enforcement personnel being devoted to domestic extremist investigations the second point um, i would want to make is that it's not just a u.s government approach that has to be taken it's a whole of humanity approach it requires private citizens to be educated about conspiracy theories so they're not manipulated by far right wing recruiters. And that really requires social media companies to step up, the Facebooks of the world, the Twitters of the world, to to shut down myths and disinformation that may be radicalizing the American population.
0: Now, finally, you argue that America's domestic extremists and the Taliban seem like polar opposites, yet they have many things in common. Among them, their approach to recruiting and financing. Can you expand upon that?
2: So they're both really adept at social media use. They cheer each other on. There's white supremacists who have cheered on the Taliban because they see the Taliban taking their own Um, destiny in their own hands and a lot of the radical right in the United States want to take the destiny in their own hands as well, just like the Taliban. And they recruit over social media. Um, they they amplify messages and they try to lure individuals to their milieus. And they try to do so in really innocent ways. If you were looking at the Taliban use of social media in the last week or so, you'll see that they're trying to tout the fact that they're different from where they were 20 years ago. Um, that they're somehow going to provide um, women's rights and minority rights. But in practice, that's not really happening. And in, in white supremacist community the radical right communities, they they do these same kinds of things as well. Try to to lure people, to make their message seem more normalized when it really isn't.
0: Oh, Thank you so much for all this information, Jason Blazekis of the Soufan Center. Take care.
2: Great to see you. Take care.
0: Likewise. And today we're remembering the heroes of 9-11. Among them, David Lemagny, a 27-year-old paramedic who died at the World Trade Center. David was working four jobs when he passed away while attempting to rescue victims trapped in the towers. He had been a Port Authority officer for just nine months. The last known picture of David is this one of him carrying a woman on what appears to be a door. He immediately ran back in, never to be seen alive again. Joining us now is his sister Magali Lemagne. Thanks so much for being with us, Magali. First of all, our hearts are with you and your family, and we're sorry for your loss. Where were you on that day, September 11th? And when did you find out that David had gone into the towers?
3: So, um, thank you for having me. Uh, On that day, um, I was home. Um, David had left in the morning for work um uh, he worked one shift um you know one week they would be flip-flop seven to three the next week they would do three to eleven that happened to be the week that he worked uh seven to three shift and uh he left um my mother left work um everything started i was asleep i work at the hospital i'm a nurse and i was asleep um all of a sudden we saw everything on the screen Uh, We started calling David automatically, um, but at first he didn't, you know, he didn't respond to the phone calls. We didn't think exactly of him because David worked Port Authority, uh, New York, New Jersey, you know, he was a cop. So we're not figuring, you're not really thinking that he's there. Unbeknownst to everybody, the offices of Port Authority are in the World Trade Center. Um, They're beneath the World Trade Center. That's where their offices are, and that's where their headquarters were. Um, He was eating breakfast, apparently, with one of his friends that morning in Jersey City, and on shift, getting ready, you know, at the police station for PATH at Port Authority, and he saw the plane hit. When they saw the plane hit across the water from Exchange Place, he ran and he calls and they told him they they didn't have any reports of that yet of course because the phone calls then all of a sudden started trickling down and he ran over to where to pass station where he would you know wait to see where he would be sent um we found that out later you know we didn't think david was really anywhere close to that we started calling no phone calls no response no phone calls kept going to voicemail and later on that day
0: as we saw in that image there's an image of him carrying a woman there that appears to be lying on a door you didn't hear from him again what else do you know were his remains ever found and What have these last 20 years been like for you and your family? I can't even imagine.
3: So, yes. um, His remains, um, we were on a roller coaster that day. I left work and finally around six o'clock that night, David had been on the job about a year and we kept calling to try and find out where he was. They said they thought he was accounted for but it was someone, actually one of the other police officers, that last name was David Lim. He's the one who's the, the uh, dog passed away in 9-11. And they got the name confused. They called us back and they told us that actually David was not accounted for that evening. And then started the wait. They finally found David's body in January of 2002. And we laid him to rest. Uh, in the middle of january after they found him you know so i know it's been body. 20
0: long years and i'm sure it still feels like yesterday the pain must be very real but we we thank him for his service for what he did out there and um our hearts are with you our prayers are with you and your family we know that you also lost your father if i'm not mistaken recently due to covid 19 so we just yes. pray that you have the strength necessary to continue to get through each day, take one day at a time. Thank you so much, Magali Le Magni. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for sharing your story with us on this Thank day. You. The state of California already dealing with a huge wildfire risk, and now it seems that may grow worse. A National Weather Service heat advisory now stretches through the state's Central Valley and through Southern California with an excessive heat warning extending eastward across the desert into Nevada. Nearly 15,000 firefighters were making progress on 14 major wildfires and several smaller new fires. They include three of the state's 20 largest fires on record. And a new number show the summer of 2021 was the hottest on record in the United States. According to NOAA's monthly climate report, the summer of 2021 tied the Dust Bowl summer of 1936 for hottest on record. The average temperature from June 1st through August 31st was 2.6 degrees above the 20th century average. More than 18 percent of the U.S. had record warm temperatures this summer, while California, Idaho, Nevada, Oregon, and Utah had their warmest summers yet. In addition to the heat, there has also been record amounts of rainfall this summer, 12% above normal levels nationwide. And in Louisiana, a state hard hit by Hurricane Ida, the governor there formally delaying the upcoming fall elections because of severe damage caused by that storm. In an executive order Thursday, Governor John Bell Edwards moved the New Orleans mayoral election from October 9th to November 13th. The move applies to upcoming statewide elections this fall as well. In addition, general elections for runoffs, which would have been held on November 13th, will now be held on December 11th. The changes will also impact early voting. The governor wants to be sure that power is restored to early voting precincts and election day polling places, and that many voters and election workers who were displaced by IDA have time to return to their homes. Meanwhile in the southwest, new census numbers showing off a massive new population growth in the city of Phoenix, Arizona. That city catapulting up the list, now the fifth most populous city in the nation. Here's Randall Summers with the story.
5: Despite the hellish summer temperatures, Phoenix, Arizona is a magnet city. So much so that in the last 10 years it has attracted nearly 200,000 new residents. Yes, we have a lot of heat, but we also have a lot of work and a diversity where the Latino community has been fighting for the place we deserve. Among the largest cities in the country, Phoenix is the fastest growing city between 2010 and 2020, even surpassing Philadelphia to become the fifth most populous city in the nation. You go everywhere and there are new developments, apartments, houses. And that's because the so-called Valley of the Sun, as this metropolitan area is known, has a lot to offer. That's why people come from all over, says Petra Falcon, who has been working with the community for decades. The jobs are changing. The companies that didn't come here before because of the heat are now coming here to Arizona. About Latinos, the census indicates that there are about 300,000 more in the state, most of them in Phoenix, the capital. And this has generated an explosion of new businesses. Encouraged by the boom that the city is experiencing, Wendy and Leo's family opened a taqueria like this one four years ago, but they have been doing so well that they are about to open a fifth restaurant. Blessed that every month the clientele is going up. The new census also indicates that the new arrivals are more racially diverse and that the non-Hispanic white population in Arizona is down 13%. Reported in Phoenix, Arizona, by Pedro Utreras, this is Randall Summers for U News.
0: For migrants in southern Mexico, a series of, at times, violent encounters with federal and state agents have slowed down the pace of many heading north. But as Ana de Mendoza explains, a sizable number remain undeterred.
4: Not even violent raids in the southern Mexican state of Chiapas have stopped migrants. Hundreds of Haitians and Central Americans have managed to continue on their way in small groups, walking through the brush or the train tracks, routes neglected by migration agents and National Guards, and their path has been more difficult. Assaults, robberies, and a lot of abuse from the national police, from immigration. If you have a refugee protocol, they will send you back. They will take money from you. Carlos Andres Saavedra is part of a small group that made it a few days ago to Veracruz, more than 420 miles north of the border between Mexico and Guatemala. Those who made it there have traveled alone or in family groups. Also, they have used commercial buses to avoid drawing attention. I can't work in Tapachula. There is no work in Tapachula. I am a professional. I am a teacher. And although President Andrés Manuel López Obrador deuda, continues to deny that detaining migrants is a U.S. demand, Guillén, who was his first migration commissioner, assured us that he resigned from that post in June 2019 because he saw the militarization of migration coming.
2: En
6: nos con Trump.
4: Well, in essence, we ran into we Trump and we ran into the inability to pursue these projects. And when this was, no was no longer possible, it was no longer my space. Meanwhile, the Mexican Commission for Refugee Aid has already received more than 77,000 asylum requests so far this year, a record. But not even these permits permit guarantee free transit. Migration sent me back with a humanitarian card. Reported in Mexico City by Jessica Cermeño, this is Ana de Mendoza, U News. More
0: of U News after this short break. Welcome back to U News. There are continuing developments in Afghanistan at this hour. Former Afghan President Hamid Karzai is calling on the Taliban to form a more inclusive government, including women. In a statement on Twitter, Karzai acknowledged that the formation of a caretaker government was necessary for the provision of services and wrote that every citizen of the country, including women, has the right to participate in government and to serve the people. The last time the Taliban ruled Afghanistan from 19. 19- 1996 through 2001, girls could not attend school and women were banned from work and education. And back here in the United States, hundreds of Tennessee residents Turned out Thursday to honor Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Noss. Noss was one of 13 United States service members killed by a suicide bomber while helping people evacuate Kabul, Afghanistan. A second procession and public memorial service will be held on Saturday. The soldier was just 23 years old. Now to a new tool in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic at the nation's airports and seaports. A new pilot program at a university in South Florida is testing whether special canines can be trained to successfully detect infected people at those vital locations. Here's Kelly Tejada with the report.
6: They already detect explosives, drugs, and even some diseases. So it should come as no surprise that dogs are lending us a hand, or rather lending us a paw, in the midst of this never-ending pandemic. (laughs) Miami Airport is the first in the country to establish a pilot program in which specially trained dogs, Simply by sniffing their target's masks can determine whether or not the person has COVID. When this topic was brought to us, it looked like something out of a movie. But with the work of universities, in particular FIU, and the support they have given to the county, this has come to a reality. For now, the program will run for a month and is set up at one of the checkpoints, or employee screening points, at the American Airlines Terminal, and does not include passengers. The level of detection accuracy is 97.5%.
2: To me, it's not remarkable that they can do it, but it is totally remarkable that they're so accurate.
6: And the fact that dogs have a special sense of smell, that makes them ideal for this type of work. They have 300 million olfactory receptors and we only have 6 million olfactory receptors. It is good that they have a good sense of smell, but how do they know how to distinguish the smell? These diseases cause us humans to produce certain volatile organic compounds that come out either in sweat or by breathing. Those are molecules produced by the infection and dogs have such a sensitive smell that they can smell it according to the airport authorities so far the dogs only alerted one employee who was then sent for pcr test and yes as the canine said it was positive reported in miami florida by lourdes del rio this is kelia tejada u
0: news thanks for listening to you news the podcast don't forget to follow you news on instagram twitter and facebook and if you haven't yet go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate and review, and join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.